Hi, I'm Ruth Atkinson from the Contextual Safeguarding Network and I'm here with Shabadachi, um, the Practice Development Lead in the, the Hackney Project Contextual Safeguarding Team. So today in this podcast, Shabba is going to be talking about the process of carrying out a contextual safeguarding case consultation, which is a process that he's been developing and carrying out as part of the Contextual Safeguarding Project here in Hackney. And as part of that as well, I know Shab has been working with Jenny Lloyd from the University of Bedfordshire um, to publish a case consultation toolkit, which is going to be launched on the Contextual Safeguarding Network website, which will also further support practitioners to carry out case consultations themselves. So Shabba, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks for having me, Ruth. You're welcome. Um, so first of all, could you tell me about the case consultations you've been carrying out? What are they and why are you doing them? Um, so... I suppose the the purpose behind them really was looking at and thinking about the contextual safeguarding model, um, what the different domains are. I like to refer to them as domains. So, for example, thinking about the home environment, the peer group environment, the school environment, the neighbourhood environment. And, you know, if professionals working with a young person looking at this model, what are the things that they need to consider in order to ensure that they have thought about the risks across each mm-hmm. domain? Um, what are the things that they maybe haven't considered? And that's hopefully what the consultation process does. In a way, it's a, um, I don't want to say a, a, a tick box, it's like, a, I suppose, a reflective tool. Yeah around what you've considered, what the risks are, what are the things that you maybe haven't attempted um, in order to help you think through and work your way through working with young people where there are extra familial concerns. So in practice, what does that look like? Can you tell me about this kind of key stages for actually carrying out a case consultation? Yes, I I suppose it's when we say consultation, we refer to a discussion between a member of the contextual safeguarding team, it's been primarily practitioners, and uh, the person who's referring in the concern. And that doesn't have to be social workers, it can be... You know, since we've started up this process, we've received referrals from uh, youth workers, family workers, members of the youth offending team as well. And um, with spreading knowledge and awareness about this project, we've had people from health asking for us to share details of our inbox so that they can also share and refer concerns into us. Um, we know that we've shared our details of our inbox with members of the police as well, so it will be interesting to see how that develops. But essentially, we have a, an email inbox, an electronic inbox, where people who are concerned about extra familial elements to the young person that they're working with can refer the case in. We will have a, a kind of almost like a reviewing of the threshold, so ensuring that that case is relevant, it's appropriate and that it meets the criteria for extra familial risks. So for example, if, as, if a professional refers in concerns and all of those concerns are surrounded on the home, then that might be something that is not relevant for us and therefore we won't we won't take it further as that's what traditional methods and models of social work are focused on but 
if a professional makes a referral about a peer group about dangerous behaviours taking place amongst the peer group and that is undermining parental capacity then we would have that discussion there and then and agree that it probably meets the threshold it's probably relevant for a discussion and we would take it forward from there and then as far as our consultations we will mm-hmm. there's a template that's been devised which breaks down the different domains and it's just got guidance and the template is really worked through with some of the practitioners or professionals who are referring in and we speak about certain points so we're interested to know what's happening in the home but we also ask what the professional knows or what the wider professional network knows about what's happening in the school environment we'd also ask what um you know who their friends are, who whether there are positive peer associations or whether there are negative peer associations, which are the contexts for where the harmful behaviours have been identified and are taking place. Um, is there any interplay or overlap between different contexts? You know things like that. These are parts of the discussion that we have. Um, so obviously it's you that's been carrying out um, the case consultations with other colleagues from the contextual safeguarding team, yeah. but for other practitioners, who who would be best placed to lead on? Um, I feel at the moment there's been, I feel, you know, we're, we're fortunate at, at the moment we have this centralised contextual safeguarding team here. Um, I think it's been important for the process to start with us in order to inform us what is happening so it's been helpful for informing us what's happening where the risks are where risks sit as far as cases across a different system Um, and yeah we obviously have the capacity to 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 kind of do that I think it's something that social work practitioners can or certainly team managers social work team managers can take on and do very um, confidently and in a very competent manner but I feel maybe a short period of, of, of demonstration and, and trialling it first in order to kind of build that capacity and build that confidence to do it in an, in an effective way but I think it's something that would sit with team managers and I think that doesn't have to be a social work team managers it can be you can sit within different disciplines as well but um, I think if it if it if it sits there, once there's a confidence about being able to offer it and deliver it, it can be um, disseminated to practitioners to be able to use. So you've talked about how um, you kind of identify the case in the first place, how it goes through to referral and assessment, and then carrying out the consultation itself. So I'm wondering about the next steps. So once the consultation is complete, what tools can practitioners then use? We have been working up a, a small number of direct work tools um, to think about using with some of the young people, to think about offering professionals to use in their direct work with some of the young people. Um, some of our tools range really, so we've got one tool in particular, I really like this in fact, it's a safety map, so it's a physical map of the borough and it's an exercise in where you kind of it's a conversation starter with a young person where you look and speak and help think through what the safe locations for them are in the borough so areas where they feel safe areas where they feel less safe areas where they're comfortable to travel 
areas which are no-go zones for them. Um, it's really good. It also really challenges and tests the knowledge of the professionals working with that young person as far as knowledge of the geography and location. How that tool has been particularly helpful is that if young people are identifying particular locations or parts of the borough where they feel unsafe, then you know, depending on what exactly it is, we can start to think about whether this is um, on an individual basis or whether it's something that's more problematic through some of the other pieces of work we're doing through maybe undertaking this exercise with other young people. Um, so we can start to look at where necessary responses to that location. We can look at which agencies are or which of our partner agencies already exist or are set up within that location, whether we can target an intervention there for that location, whether there's a, a, a group in that location that we need to target our intervention towards there. So it's really helpful for things like that. It's really helpful for, for thinking through. Something that I believe will play a larger role in informing us um, like further down the line as far as being able to plan interventions on specific locations. Mm -hmm. One of the other tools that we use is a peer map exercise. So yeah. we do peer mapping, which is really helpful. Really what it says on the tin is mapping out the peers of the young people. Um, there's been some helpful guidance around peer mapping. We've fo focused and concentrated one of our learning reviews sessions on the use of peer maps. But um, yeah, I think it's really important that peer maps are informed by the young people themselves as far as who they say their peers are, who they say their friends are, and not who we as professionals think and say that their friends are. Um, but that's been something that's been really helpful. Yeah, it is about looking at which partners you've got, which partners you have in place, who are best placed to be able to offer interventions as far as group ones. Um, something that we've done one of one of the cases that um, i had a discussion with in this very early steps of the consultation process identified or i suppose it kind of caused me to query uh, research and what the research says about about um, the particular problem and it was a, a query that one of the social work teams had about relocating a young person and there was a very helpful piece of research that I was pointed to. I then provided it to the social work team and it helped them as far as being able to um, kind of make a rationale for not relocating the young person in the way that they had um, initially intended to, but also helped to think about a safety plan um, safety plans are another outcome of these consultations so whilst it can be thought of as a reflective tool and definitely a risk assessment tool it's also helpful to consider as a safety plan um, so looking at where you need to create safety in which domain or context you need to create safety and who is best placed to be able to do that how you can join up other people to um, to to form part of the safety plan in a way which provides a bit more fluidity, I think, and flexibility than your um, traditional child protection plans. There's linking to other agencies, so that's something that's been helpful as well, thinking about which other partners need to be involved, as I've kind of just mentioned before. And there's signposting to some of the other tools that we have developed. The um, 
it's how can I describe it? It's like a almost like a tool, a direct work tool for parents, and it's helping parents to gain an understanding of what extrafamilial risk is and what that specifically means for their child. Um, I think professionals can be guilty of using a lot of jargon, a lot of professional slang, a lot of language and terminology that parents don't always understand. Or, you know, it's assumed that parents will just understand what is meant. And I think the idea of this tool for parents is to help them to understand in very simple terms what it means, what the current type of concern is that professionals have about their child or their children and I think that's something that's been received well so far by uh, the parents that I've met with. I've met with a few parents off the back of having consultations and again it's what they've fed back to me is about the language that is used and how they can you know understand what the risks to their child are in ways and in languages that they speak to. And what we're doing as well is not just offering consultations and then saying go go off and you guys go off and, and deal with it now. We're kind of reviewing consultations, we're reviewing the progress of consultations. So um, and that's taking place on a on a on a monthly basis. So we're meeting with professionals to discuss where they have a concern and then revisit maybe offering up some tasks, offering them some of the tools that we've been developing, offering them some of our interventions and then agreeing to meet with them over some over a period of time and review the progress of, of that case. So for practitioners wanting to carry out this process themselves, what are the resources do you think they might need? So there's a guidance document mm-hmm. um, that has been developed by myself and Dr Jenny Lloyd. The guidance document um, is, again, what it says on the tin, provides really clear guidance and some suggestions about things for practitioners to consider as far as being able to scale this across and being able to take on this process mm-hmm. on their own, kind of independent of a centralised contextual safeguarding team. Um, I suppose so that's that's a really helpful guidance. I feel some knowledge in undertaking peer maps or um, just the confidence to try and draw out peer maps is is really important to have. It's also important to think about having the right people in the room when you're having this discussion. So that means people who have knowledge of the uh, context or the, the, the point of concern in addition to people who know what's happening in the family home. Um, it's important not to think about any of these things in isolation. It's important to hold in mind what is happening inside the family home for any one of these young people, but it's also important to think about where the harm is taking place and what can be done to address the, the, the harm in its proper context. And for that, I suppose it's really key to have the right people there or people who are able to help you coordinate a response. Um, And finally, is there any kind of other key learning that you want to share from the process or key tips for practitioners? I found that it's been aided by kind of sharing information or kind of asking anyone who's going to participate in that consultation discussion. It's really important to give them a heads up about what to expect so that they can bring the right type of information to 
the consultation to the discussion. Um, I have found that you know the more knowledge that professionals hold about cases, um, the greater capacity there's been for them to be able to reflect um, on their own practice and what they've tried or what they haven't tried. Um, as well as what might be happening for the young person, what might be happening for the group, whereas professionals who maybe are less knowledgeable about a child or young person or context, maybe because that child or young person is relatively new to working with that professional, um, they generally tend to have a lot less information and so that hinders, in a way, the capacity to reflect on the work to be done. Um, it's helpful for being able to task things and knowing what needs to come next, but it's not as, as great for being able to think back or think through things and also having like wider knowledge about some of the things that we ask in that process. Great. Thank you, Shabba, and thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. No problem, Ruth. No problem at all. The case consultation guidance document will be up on the Contextual Safeguarding Network.